You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Leaving your dream job is never easy. But it was for Overland Park native Alex Charlton. You see, by day, he's a football coach at Midwestern State, but by night, he's a nurse. When the coronavirus outbreak shut down New York, Alex knew there was only one choice. He was leaving football to go help the folks in the Big Apple. Alex shares his story on the latest Casey Bobcast. All right, I want you to take me to the moment where you woke up and you said, you know what, I'm going to New York, man. I'm putting this football coaching thing on hold. I'm going to New York, and I'm going to fight this COVID. Take me to that exact moment when you had that kind of, you know, dream or whatever you want to call it to go to New York and help everybody. Yeah, well, you know, we got sent home and from, from Wichita Falls, and, and about three days later, I'm just kind of sitting there wondering, you know, what am I going to do? What's going to happen? And and we're still learning about the virus at the time. Um, you know, I was coming down from disappointment that the tournament was canceled, obviously being a huge KDU fan. And uh, once, you know, I learned about this virus and kind of how much it had taken over our country and, and learned about the seriousness of it, uh, I immediately just thought to myself, like, I mean, there's going to be, they're going to need help all over. And so I, I talked to my girlfriend about it and you know, there was a little hesitation there just for my safety from her perspective and my family's perspective when I talked to them. Um, I, and then I, I, you'd log on to any social media and there's ads all over of, of just crisis. Uh, all these cities are in crisis uh, needs of nurses. And, and I mean, I just immediately just thought to myself like, well, Hey, I, I'm capable of helping. Let's, let's go out there and help. And, and, and there really wasn't any hesitation for me. Uh, my only hangup, um, was just my prior commitment to coaching. And so I called my coach and, and talked to a few of the assistants, just trying to gather our plan and, you know, when are we going to come back? And it was hard for them because they didn't know. Um, and one coach told me, he goes, hey, man, you know, don't worry about here. It's the middle of the off offseason. Um, we've got plenty of help. There's plenty of time for you to catch up. Uh, you're capable of helping. You can do some good. And, and once he kind of gave me that blessing, I immediately started calling all these agencies and said, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here to help. Just, you know, put me where you guys can. And, and um, it wasn't because I didn't want to help. It was just, I wanted to honor my commitment to Midwestern state and didn't want to, uh, you know, get hired. And three months later, I'm telling them that, Hey, and I can't really work for you guys for a month or two. And, uh, and then once they told me that, then I'm, I was full board to, to go to New York. And, and like I said, there was just a little, no, no hesitation on my part, but just trying to, you know, talk to Carly and, and my family about just my safety. But for me, I, I didn't, it didn't really cross my mind until I was on the flight to New York about, you know, a potential safety issue for myself. What was that flight like for you? <laughs> that was probably the, the, 
the surrealist moments along with getting to New York. Um, first of all, there was, I can't remember the number. There was probably 20 people on a big plane. I mean, every three rows was a person. Um, and I'm a pretty optimistic and positive person. And at one point I remember just thinking to myself, and it's only because of just, you know, Carly and my parents would say, you know, I, I just want you to come home safely. And so for myself, I'm getting excited to go out there and help and, 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 you know, but every now and then just for a split second, it would creep into my mind, you know, I hope that wasn't the last time I saw my family and, and, uh, I just, just want to be able to come home safely. And, and, and cause you just have a little bit of, I don't want to say fear, but just that, that doubt in your mind just for a split second, only because you hear all these people talking about the severity of this, uh, uh virus and, and you just, you know, you just wonder yourself, like, that wasn't the last time I talked to Carly or got to see her and, or see my family. And, uh, but that was a very small portion of it. For the most part, I was just excited to get there and, and, and help. Um, but, but I'd be lying if there weren't a few of those moments that kind of made you a little nervous, but you, you talked to so many people there uh, when you're on the flight and uh, when you got into town that were just local people and, and the amount of joy and, and appreciation they showed for you being there it just kind of made you forget about all that kind of stuff and just kept you motivated to, to be out there and do what you're doing to help. Well, let, let's be honest, man. The, the field that you're in coaching isn't an easy one to get in. I mean, you, you know, you're coaching at Midwestern state. I mean, that that's, yeah, and that's no knock on them, but I mean, you got to start small, work your way up. And here right. you have an opportunity to, to be a coach, to do what you wanted to do, you know, your whole life. And now all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I'm going to put that on hold. I mean, how, how much of a thought process was that for you going, man, I may be giving up a good opportunity in something that I've always wanted to do to go fight this coronavirus. Yeah, I mean, it, it was. And that's kind of like back to what we were originally talking about. I, I wanted to go help immediately, but I needed to talk to my coaches, the coaches first because I, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to be the guy that, hey, I just got here and now I'm going to go do something else. Um, you know, I thought maybe they would be understanding just because of the uniqueness of the situation. Um, so, you know, that was, there was a little bit of hesitation there, but they, all the coaches were completely supportive of it. Um, and then once I got there, you know, I told myself, Hey, you're out here, you know, when you're at the, at the hospital, do your job, don't think about anything else, but on my off days. And, um, I made sure I stayed in touch with the coaches, attended the meetings when I could. Uh, and, and part of that for me was, I don't want to say frustrating. That's not, not the right word, but we did have meetings that I couldn't attend. And, and so I, I felt a little, uh, I guess felt bad just because I couldn't attend. But again, they knew the reason I, you know, I couldn't attend. I mean, I'm in the middle of, you know, a shift at the hospital. So uh, I, I never thought that I would like, you know, potentially lose my job or anything from this, but I just didn't want to, you know, put the burden on the other GAs who still had, we still had work to do. And, you know, the GAs are doing a lot of the grunt work and, you know, I know some of them probably, you know, had a few things to do and uh, without my help, but I made sure that I was available and, uh, uh, and, and, and more than anything, I just wanted them to know like, Hey, this is the type of person I am. I mean, I'm, I'm going to help when, when the, the duty is called, whether that's in football or not, obviously football is my number one priority, but, uh, just, just being able to help was, it, it was just something that I couldn't live with not going out there. And, and, and I was confident that the coaches wouldn't, uh, take it as a negative about my commitment to the football program. And, and I don't think that was the case. 
Did you think, and, and just so people know, we're recording this kind of in the middle of June. Did, did you think by the middle of June, you'd still be at home? You wouldn't be back on campus? Like, did you expect this virus to have this long lasting effect on, on what we're seeing right now? Um, well, it's kind of two answers to that. The first being, I thought I was going to be out there longer. I really did. I was, uh, but once I, once I got there, um, you know, it was crazy the first couple of weeks. I mean, it was my dogs, my dogs whining. Um, uh, it, it was crazy. I mean, it was everything you read in the news. I mean, you have people basically passing away and you got to clear that room and, and get it ready for somebody else. Cause you've got a big waiting room of people. Um, so I was expecting to be there longer, but as far as like the lingering effects of this virus, no, I mean, in some ways I kind of thought it'd be a little bit worse. Um, but I think you saw the result of social distancing, especially in a place like New York and in, in New Jersey, uh, uh, you saw the numbers and, and the cases start to decline after a significant amount of time. Um, now you, you are seeing a rise in hospitalizations throughout the country I think that's to be expected as we open things up. Um, uh, obviously, they'll need to watch how severe that becomes. You know, you, you, you kind of led us there, and, and I want to get back into obviously more of your story and everything went on, but, but the virus is still an issue right now, and we each have a dog barking in the background, which is fantastic. <laughs> uh, the, the, the virus is still an issue right now in, in the United States. How big an issue is it? How concerned should we still be with this virus and where we're headed with, you know, the possible resurgence, as they keep talking about? Yeah, I mean, I, I think very concerned. I mean, I saw stuff yesterday that in, in Arizona, they're they're – enacting an emergency plan because they're starting to run out of hospital beds. And, and Texas is relative to me because that's where I coach. They've seen a major increase in cases uh, and hospitalizations. I mean, they've been, been record numbers. Um, now to answer your question, concerned. Absolutely. I mean, I, I still have concerns. Uh, I, if, if you would ask me a month ago, I would have thought there's no way we have a college football season. If you asked me today, I, I think we're well on track to have one. But I think a lot of that is going to result from what happens as students return to campus and as they begin working out with their strength coaches um, and as the public begins to open up and go to restaurants with all the social distancing aspects. Um, I mean, I think there's still a real concern, and, and I'm not ready to tell you that uh, we're going to finish our football season. I mean, I think we'll definitely start as of right now the way things are going. Um, but as far as, you know, finishing the season, that's another story. But, but the bigger picture is your question is the, the virus. And, and we still should be concerned. It didn't go away. Um, people just got laxed, in my opinion, because of we shut down the country for a couple months. And, and so you saw a, a decline in cases. But that's, that's what you would expect. Um, and as things are opening up, I mean, you're seeing a rise in hospitalizations. And hospitalizations, to me, is the biggest key. Um, with increased testing, you're going to have uh, more cases. There's no doubt about that. It's it's hospitalizations and deaths. And um, I, I think people, I mean, nothing needs to change. They need to still be doing the the, the social distancing and, and doing all the precautions that you can take. Um, because right now, I mean, you're seeing rises in, in Texas and Arizona where it's hot and and those are very open states. I mean, it, it, you know, it's not like the Northeast where everybody's on top of each other. Um, and, and then I'll have my concerns for when the flu season uh, comes and it gets colder. And, and so um, I think we're going to see a – we're going to have our answers of how people view this virus and what they've done to prevent it. 
Um, because, you know, if you see outbreaks again, um, you know, you're, that's going to have your answer of how serious people took this virus. And if we uh, uh, didn't do what we needed to do, you know, on a personal level to prevent outbreaks from occurring. So what was the experience like in New York, man? Like, what was a typical day like for you? And, and what did you kind of see dur- during your time there? Yeah, I mean, you saw a typical day is, you know, I'd wake up at five o'clock, I'd leave by six o'clock and get to the hospital at seven, um, just because I was pretty far away. Uh, you know, when I first got there, all the subways were closed. Uh, no, I'm sorry, not closed. They were completely empty. It was just me on there. You know, as time went on, that started to change. Um, but in the hospital, I mean, uh, you, you saw, um, a fully loaded unit. So the, the emergency room that I worked at had a, two different units. One was the COVID unit. Um, and I was in that one and you saw people coming in. I mean, just, you all, you always had patients that never changed. Um, once you would send a patient up to the floor, to the ICU or, or to the medical surgical unit, um, you got another one and, 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 you know, you see your elderly people, you see your people who have risk factors of just not the greatest health. But I saw 40-year-olds there that were, they'd never had a diagnosed medical condition. Maybe it was something went undiagnosed, I don't know, but they were healthy and these people were struggling to breathe, 40-year-olds. I mean, I remember in a day I admitted to two guys that were 40 years old that had no medical conditions and, and needed oxygen just to, um, just to breathe. Um, and I mean, you saw people passing away, uh, uh, you saw, um, people coming in that were otherwise healthy and 30 minutes later, we're trying to ask themselves, you know, if this keeps going this route, do I want to be a DNR, DNI, which is a, do not resuscitate, you know, don't do CPR or don't intubate me because you had to intubate a lot of these patients, meaning you had to basically put a breathing tube down their throat and put them on a ventilator. And, And that's very risky to do. Um, and just seeing all these people, I remember a lady who, you know, in her fifties or sixties, I think she low sixties, I mean, she was not doing good. And, and, and she had to call home and discuss with her family what they wanted to do, what she wanted to do should the worst come to the worst. And that's basically putting a tube down her throat. And, um, and there's a lot of complications that can come from that. And, and the reason I bring that story up was, was just seeing somebody who woke up that morning was, you know, probably not feeling the best and just seeing her de- deteriorate so quickly and, and just the stress in her eyes of not having her family around to make these decisions. Um, and just not to have that comfort of, Hey, my family's right here with me. I mean, that was very, I don't want to say stressful, but just, uh, uh, eye-opening, you know, seeing people fight for their life with, with no family around. And, and I mean, you had people using oxygen tubes from one room out into the hallway because, you know, there's oxygen tubes in the wall in every room, but you're overloaded in the ER. And so you've got extension tubings coming from one room out the hallway just to help somebody breathe while they're waiting for a room. And, and, uh, I mean, I've seen people pass away before uh, in the ER. You know, that's just kind of something you deal with. But the volume we saw there was completely different. And, and, I mean, we had to put people in body bags. And that was something that really touched me just because just seeing a person pass away is sad and, and to begin with. But then to just put them in a body bag and kind of move on to the next person, I mean, that's your job. But at the same time, that was uh, – 
it touched you a little bit and just, you know, it, it made you sad. It kind of made your, your, your throat, um, horse up a little bit and tear up a little bit, but, uh, you know, he, there's still a lot of people needed, needed our help. And so uh, I just, you know, took a, took a moment, uh, to feel for that person, but knowing that there's other people out there who needed help and, and moved on to the next to, to do what I can to, to prevent that outcome. How do you process that mentally when you have something like that happen in front of you? Yeah, it's, you know, it's easier for some people, harder for others. For me, I don't know why. Um, I mean, I am a very empathetic person, so I put myself in the shoes of the family members and that person and just really feel for them. But I'm really good at just kind of staying focused and moving on, and I think football has helped me with that. Just, just well, sports in general, just playing and being a competitive person. Um, it's difficult to process, but I guess kind of the good thing in the ER is you're always really busy, and so you just you don't have time to think. You really don't. I mean, you wouldn't be human if you didn't kind of tear up or take a second to feel for what's going on but at the same time you've got other patients that you need to get to and and knowing that you got another one coming your way um you just you don't forget you just kind of move on to, to try and do good I guess would be the best way to to summarize that do, did you find yourself as a coach sort of in the ER like rooting guys on or rooting gals on to kind of you know get them through that do you find that type of stuff coming out in the nursing side of things Absolutely. No question. I mean, for the, for, for the patients, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're there giving them confidence that, Hey, you're in the right place. I'm going to take care of you. Um, you're giving them that support. Um, and not only that, they don't have their families, family members there too. So you're, you're offering that support. And as a coach, you're a mentor for student athletes and, and you're there to encourage them. And then you're doing the same for the patients that, Hey, you're in a great place. We're going to help. Um, the, the way I would also say that I saw it the most and, and felt it the most was just with the other nurses was, you know, some days my day would be a little bit easier than other days. And then the same would be for another nurse. They just, for whatever reasons, I mean, you don't, you don't pick your patients and you don't pick on when they come. If you got an open bed, you're going to get some. And so you'd have nurses that are just, uh, they get slammed is what we call it with three patients in a row and they all need all this work done. And, and you jump in as a leader and say, Hey, what can I do to help you? My patients are stable for now. What can I do? And, and, and you encourage other nurses not to, uh, you know, dwell on, Hey, I've got five patients right now and they all need something done. It's just, Hey, one patient at a time. Um, just kind of keeping them focused in the moment and not, not stressing, um, not stressing out, which has a negative effect because then nothing's going to get done. And, and so I definitely promoted teamwork in the ER and it wasn't just me. It was all the other nurses too. They helped me and, and I helped them, but just being with my background, um, I always kind of created that positive vibe and, 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 uh, just allowed people to, to stay focused and felt that they had help and they weren't, they weren't drowning, you know, with their own patients. Is there and and this is this is like obviously the sports guy coming out on me but is there like when you save somebody's life or stabilize somebody is there like a celebration is there a congratulation period where you guys go around and high five cuz you're doing good and you and you see somebody you know come back to life or you save their life or you save them from passing away do you guys celebrate those small victories amongst all of what you had going on hey, absolutely there's no there's no question about it and 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 there were many of those instances and 
And, you know, you'd see somebody coming in, you know, and we're like, man, this person's not doing well. I mean, and, and we don't, you know, sit there and talk about it. But in the back of our mind, we all know that there's a chance this person could die. Um, but it's kind of back to the what I was saying earlier, when somebody passes away, you just kind of, you, you take a second to realize what just happened and what you did or what you witnessed, and then you kind of move on. And it's the same thing with the positive stuff. And we celebrate and and, uh, you know, the doctors will tell everybody good job and, and all the nurses that'll help will do the same thing. Um, but it's, it's very short lived. It's kind of like, you know, your old typical coach speak, Hey, we'll enjoy this for a moment. And then we're going to move on to the next opponent. It's kind of that same concept. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously a much bigger deal because people's lives are at stake, but, uh, we definitely appreciate and, and, and congratulate each other in, in, and, uh, you know, later on, if I went and helped somebody or somebody helped me and we didn't really have the time to talk about it, they'll come up when the time is a little bit slower and, and thank them for, hey, thank you for what you did in there. I really appreciate it. Or you did a great job in there and all that kind of stuff. So so we, we, we certainly do. It's just it's such a fast paced environment, um, you know, in the ER because you're trying to get everything done for the next nurses that that are going to take over the patient upstairs because we're trying to figure out what's going on with them. What do we need to do to stabilize them? And that's the matter of time. Now ICU nurses are, are some of the best nurses in the world. They're taking care of the critical of the critical of the patients. And, and I'm not diminishing anything that they do. It's just a different world. Um, but we, we don't have the time to get to know the patient. I mean, we've got to, fix the problem right now. Now you get up to an ICU and I mean, I, I wouldn't probably be the best ICU nurse just because you've only got a couple patients, but they're critically ill and there's so many things that you have to do for them. But the foundation has been laid by us in the ER. I mean, it's a, it's a whole team effort kind of a thing. Um, uh, so it, it just, just in the ER, it's just so fast paced that you just kind of, you just kind of keep, keep moving on. How fast did your days go by? You know, it's interesting you say that because here in Kansas City, it was very busy. The ERs I worked in were very busy. We always had a waiting room. It seemed like the days went by fast, a lot quicker there than they did in Kansas City. And, and I think that's just because you knew the situation that you weren't looking at the clock. And, and it's not that you don't have severe patients in Kansas City because you do. You got people coming in with strokes and heart attacks. And there's nothing that is more time of the essence than a stroke and a heart attack. Um, but just the volume of such sick patients, I mean, you weren't worried about anything, uh, in, in there. I mean, you're just worried. Well, you're worried about the patients, but nothing else matters. I didn't think about football. Now, when I was a nurse in Kansas city, I know I was thinking about football time and sports and stuff like that. I mean, it's just how it was when I was out there. I mean, it was just a different world and the days went by quick. They really did. And I remember telling Carly that when I was there, I'm like, man, these, you know, I'd be on my lunch break. They'd give us an hour. And I just like, man, this day's just going by quick. And, 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 uh, and a part of that is you just, you have so much support that you just don't feel like you're ever drowning there. We had, we had plenty of staff and the teamwork was incredible because you got nurses coming from all over the country who have never worked to, with each other. You've got doctors who are relying on nurses and nurses who are relying on doctors that have never worked with each other but you wouldn't have known if you were there, you would have thought we'd all been working together for 20 years. And, and so that was something that I really appreciated. And, and, you know, with all the social injustice stuff going on right now, um, I mean, obviously that's a great, huge issue, 
but you, it just it just shows what people can be capable of because you had males, females, African Americans, Caucasians, Asians, all working together, and not that that's ever an issue for any of us in the ER, but just seeing what everybody can do uh, for one common goal is pretty special. And you, to be you know, a part of it, yeah, like, I was going to say, man, it's it's amazing when a crisis hits or however you want to call it, like the true human spirit really does come out. Like, you know, we, we have all these differences and then in a time of crisis, it doesn't matter. Everybody's there together pulling on the same rope. That must've been cool to experience something like that too, especially since nobody knew anybody, but everybody was there for the same cause to try to help. Absolutely. And and I mean, that caught all of our attention right away. All of, all of us traveling, traveling nurses, the, the New York nurses that were the regular staff, um, I mean, just the teamwork was incredible. And I remember commenting on that to our nurse managers, um, you know, who kind of oversee all of us. And they just asked how things were going because, you know, we're new here and learning. And I mean, I, I couldn't have been more uh, uh, supportive or, or complimentary of, of, of the situation we were in. And, and, and like you said, just seeing everybody pulling on that same rope and, and for one common goal and nothing else matters. I mean, it shows what we're capable of. Uh, you know, you just wish people could have that mindset and it doesn't take a crisis for that to occur. Now, I didn't, I mean, I knew social injustice does occur and, and, and I'm all in favor of equality um, that, you know, that wasn't on our minds in the, the, the pandemic, but it's just interesting, interesting that, you know, a few weeks later, the whole George Floyd situations brought about and, and it just takes me back just to where I was of just seeing what, what humans are capable of if, if we can all just realize that we're all equal and we're all the same and, and, and nobody's different. Nobody's worse. Nobody's better. Uh, we're all the same. We just have unique differences, but that doesn't make, make us, you know, better or worse. We're, we're all human. How, how much gear were you dressed in every day? Like we hear about all the PPEs that people could get and whatnot. What was, what was your, your outfit like every day? Yeah. So, so I had a different pair of scrubs for every day, obviously, and I immediately washed them. But so, you know, you're wearing your typical, you know, scrubs, uh, You'd have a gown. You'd put a gown on for every time you'd go into a patient's room. Uh, you'd, you'd have a, uh, what we call an N95 mask, um, you know, which covers your, ne- your nose and your mouth, um, but that doesn't cover your eyes. And so we would have a face shield, you know, just a, just a typical face shield on. Um, you'd have a hairnet on. Uh, you'd have a, uh, we, we call them booties, you know, stuff that you put over your shoes just because, you know, somebody may cough and it might not get on my face, but it, it sure as heck's got to come down somewhere and it can get on your shoes. So um, you're decked out head to toe. And, and, and that created, in my opinion, anxiety for patients too, just seeing all these people in spacesuits. And, and you'd have certain rooms that are, you know, what we call our trauma rooms and, and you have the door shut and it's got negative airflow in there. So, uh, you know, the air is being sucked out in a different portion of the hospital and so you're not trying to go in there unless you need to go in there. So a lot of times you'd have nurses and doctors and whoever standing at the door, kind of looking at the patient, looking at the monitor, you know, just watching their heart rhythm, watching their heart rate, just looking at the patient. And, you know, a patient's just sitting there in a room all alone, um, wondering why are these people in spacesuits just staring at me? And, and so uh, we definitely had enough uh, uh, equipment there. Now, technically, you're supposed to remove your N95 every time you leave a room. We didn't do that. Um, we just wore it all day, but just never touched it, never took it off. And really, that's not a risk or anything. But 
you know, you're, you are supposed to take them, but you know, you got to do what you can. If you do that, we'd run out of stuff in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt we were adequately supplied and I felt I had enough, uh, uh, PPE. Um, now I know that wasn't the cases in all places in New York, just where I was, it was, we were fortunate enough to have enough to get us through the day each, each day. What was a ride home like for you at night after the day was done? Yeah, uh, that, that, uh, it changed some towards the end. It was okay. Uh, at first it was really rough those first days just because you see people that come in and, and you, you, you saved a lot of people and you did a lot of good, but you saw people pass away and, and, and you just leave and, and you almost wanted to stay. Cause it's like, I, I want to stay there and, and help. And, 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 but you know, you got to go get your rest and, and recharge for the next day. And, um, it was a lot of emotions. A lot of them were positive because you know what you did that day was, was very productive and, and you did a lot of good at the same time. You're feeling for those family members at home who, you know, probably had a conversation with their husband, wife, brother, son two days ago. And, and that was the last conversation that they ever had for them. And so you just, you put yourself in that shoe and, and you feel for those patients and you may never have met the family members, but you know, they're out there and, 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 and it was, it was sad. And you'd talk to people on the phone throughout the shift, you know, family members would call because there was no visitors allowed. And I would talk to them and you could hear the fear in their voice and, and you felt for them, you know, you kind of hang up and you feel for them, but then you move on to your patient. But then when you, you know, you're right home, you're just kind of thinking about everything that happened that day. And you're just, you feel for the people at home who are so helpless because their family members are in the hospital and, and there's nothing that they can do. And all you can do is let them know that they're in good hands and you're doing what you can. Wow. I mean, it's just like you hear the story and I'm just starting to think of what I would be like in that situation. And I wouldn't be like you. I'd be, I'd be probably a mess if, if all that, like you, you, you're a special individual. You realize that, right? They can handle all that kind of stuff because most of us are wired not that way where you can compartmentalize and, 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 and be that type of person. I know I, I, there's no way I could have handled seeing and doing what you were doing for the last couple of months. Yeah. There's, there's people who get out of nursing when they're a student because you see some of those things. And, and there's other reasons, you know, people can't, they just can't handle seeing blood. I, I don't like seeing blood because that means somebody's bleeding, but I do like seeing blood and I can handle it well. And, and I think it's just a gift that God gave me to be able to, I know I'm a very empathetic and compassionate person. I know people with anybody who knows me would tell you that. Um, but I'm also really competitive and that's through sports. And, and so as I relate that, it's as I feel for the loss that I witness daily in the emergency room, but I'm competitive to make sure that doesn't happen to the next person I can see. And, and, and I, I'm glad that there are people like that because we need those people in these situations. And I think just athletics in general has helped me and, 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 you know, you see other people and there are nurses who do struggle with, with that. And, and, and that's, that's normal. Like you said, that's normal for people to not handle that well. And, and I, I think it's just a gift that was given to me and, and I'm glad because I was able to put it to good use. And, and although I feel for the loss that I see, it allows me to push forward and, and try and prevent that from the next person. Did you ever get to participate in one of them seven o'clock at night, you know, round of applause in New York City moments? 
Yeah, I'm not going to lie. The first time I witnessed it, well, the first time I witnessed it, uh, I was in my apartment because I got there a couple days earlier, and it kind of scared me. It sounded like the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. I'm, I'm like, all of a sudden, people are cheering and, and screaming, and I'm like, what is going on? This it, kind of reminded me of what I did when I watched the, the Super Bowl, and we went outside and celebrated after the game. Um, so that was cool, and then I, I researched it and realized what had happened. Uh, and then my first shift, I get off at about 6.55, and uh, you know, we're downtown New York. I'm, you know, in the, the near the financial district and, um, I'm just kind of, I got to walk to union square about three blocks away and I'm walking in between these apartment complexes and I'm just by chance, I'm the only one, only nurse in the street, only healthcare worker in the street. And there's some civilians out there and seven o'clock hits and everybody just looks at me personally and starts clapping and, and smiling and thanking me and you've got people hanging out of 20-story buildings you know banging pots and pans reaching down pointing at you you know like I'm some celebrity and and and, and, and I'm I, I kind of like cried in the back of my mind just like wow I mean the amount of support I'm kind of tearing up just thinking about it back in that moment because you really appreciated the support you were shown um, from regular people um, who, who were not healthcare workers. I mean, you felt that love, that support. Um, and it made you realize like, Hey, I really am doing something good here. Um, and then I'll wrap this up with this. I, I got to Trader Joe's a couple days later. It's just where I do my shop and I love their food. And, uh, they've got 20 registers there and, and they're all packed with people. And I start walking down the aisle and, and it was at seven o'clock, but anytime healthcare workers there, I didn't know this everybody just stopped. And I mean, I had to walk to the end of the, the whole end of all the registers and everybody just stopped, stared at me, clapped. And I mean, at first it was a little awkward. I uh, definitely need to work on my parade wave, but I mean, just seeing that support, I mean, it, it was unbelievable. And, and you were treated like Kings there um, by the people. And, 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 and it just, it just reminded me, it reminded you of what you're doing. Uh, was great, even though you're in a difficult situation. It it just let you know that people have your back, and that's a good feeling. Yeah, I was kind of tearing up when you were telling that story too. I can only imagine being the only one on the street, and like, what do you do? Do you wave, or <laughs> what do you do? I, I got better at first. At first, I would, I would just just say smile. I'd smile and say thank you. That's the, and then you know, eventually, I would just kind of look up and you know, because I wanted to acknowledge that. I, I don't want to. I'm not trying to act like I'm some special person or something, but, but I wanted to acknowledge their support. I, I don't, I didn't want to ignore it and act like I didn't appreciate it because I certainly did. So I, I, I made sure to be that person that answers everybody who reaches out to them. Yeah. Uh, that, that, cause I like being that person. I don't want anyone to feel that uh, I didn't appreciate their support. Did this change you as a person? Um, I, once again, is so much with nursing, just being a nurse has opened my eyes to so many things. So when I was a football coach at KU, I didn't have a nursing degree. And I was just your typical human who just loves sports and nothing else in the world existed. Um, I don't care for politics. I don't really care for anything but sports and my family. And as I went through nursing school, I became more conscientious of my health and other people's health. Um, and so the foundation was laid there. Now, the one thing that I would say I took from it the most, and it's not that I didn't know this, especially being a coach and a nurse, is tomorrow's never guaranteed. And just seeing these people constantly coming into the ER, knowing that they may have just had their last conversation with whoever, uh, 
I don't want to say it changed me. It just, it just continued my awareness of health and of family and of that. I, you know, you get one shot on earth and to just to be the best person you can be me and Carly, my girlfriend, you know, we've always said that our, we want to be the best person that we can be. And our biggest fear is not being that. And we want to push each other to, to be that person. And so it, it just continued to motivate me and encourage me to do that and, and know that uh, maybe I'm capable of doing a lot of more good in this world than I thought. And going to New York was certainly one of that. And, and to wrap this up, the one thing I guess to answer your question, along with just being more, being more aware of everything is, is when I get back to coaching to, and I've always had this mindset, I'm not just a coach. I'm not there just to win games. I'm there to develop student athletes on and off the field to become good husbands and fathers and, um, and brothers and brothers and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but just to take a more devoted interest in what's going on in, in my players' lives, uh, whether that's health or just things that they're dealing with. It, it just, it brought me more of to a humanistic standpoint to where, you know, those relationships and diving deeper into the people I know uh, it just made me appreciate the people that I have and want to get to know them more because tomorrow's never guaranteed and, and, and whatnot. All right. I'll leave you with this. What's your advice to people now going forward with this virus, how to handle it, how to stay safe and any kind of, you know, tips you can give us. Yeah. Tips. I mean, just kind of the same things, just continually washing your hands. You know, if you got to go open a door, use your shirt. That's what I always do. Uh, uh, just maintain, you know, a safe distance from people. You know, if you're out in the park, I mean, it's not going to hurt you to wear a mask, but you don't necessarily have to unless you're constantly coming into close contact with people. Um, so I, and I, I only say that not to lessen. I just don't want people to, to be fearful. I want people to live their lives because they need to. Um, but, you know, if you're going into restaurants, if you're going, well, maybe not restaurants, but because they're going to have you spaced out. But if you're going into grocery stores and stuff like that. I mean, just, just do yourself and and other people a favor and wear a mask and, and, and because it, it's just, it's 30 minutes out of your day to do that. You've got doctors and, and nurses and, and everybody else who are wearing that stuff for 12 hours a day. Um, and, and it's all for the greater good. And, you know, I was in New York and I went for a run around Central Park and I saw this couple who had to have been high 80s, early 90s, and they're out there walking in the park and you could tell they're healthy for their age. Just a really sweet little couple. They got their mask on and, and, and those are the people who are at high risk, even though that they're probably pretty healthy because they're out by themselves walking in Central Park. Um, you know, I really kind of felt for them. I, I, I just, these are the people we need to protect and we need to protect everybody. You know, I'm not at a high risk as somebody else is. Um, but you just, you just never know. And so wearing a mask, uh, staying six feet away from people, just being aware of your surroundings, what you touch, um, it's, it's crucial. And it, it's really simple kind of stuff. You just have to, appreciate it for what it is and you just have to value it you know if you don't value washing your hands you're going to go touch stuff and that's going to that might not affect you it might not affect anyone in your family but eventually it could get to somebody who it will it will affect and 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 as you can see i mean this this isn't going away in some ways it's making a resurgence and it might again it probably will in the fall season and so um don't fear it i guess is my uh answer 
but also value what the health experts are, are, are telling you. You know, there's nothing new. It's, it's washing your hands. It's wearing a mask. It's, it's don't touch your face. And, and it's staying away from people and don't cough on people, that kind of stuff. And, and it's all stuff that it's, it's free. It's easy to do. What an amazing story. I have no doubt that Alex is going to make an amazing coach one day at a big-time university. He has the most important skill necessary. He's a leader. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the KC Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.